Hello everyone and welcome back to The Normal Christian Life. I'm joined here again as always by my brother Father Michael, my good friend Joe Herring, and we're also joined again by our good friend Mary Bielski. As we were talking before the show, um, we were getting into, I was asking Mary about some of her, a little bit more of her story and her vocational discernment. And we realized that it would be really good at this time to talk about more about vocations and how that relates to our identity. And we'd already talked in a previous episode about identity, how we all are called to holiness, to, be, to live in this world as sons and daughters of God, and the calling that we all have through that. But then like more specifically, something that we're probably more familiar with is thinking about uh, vocations. What does that look like? Um, specifically, Mary has some unique insights on uh, pursuing different vocations and, and, and kind of wrestling with that and then also helping young people and help and trying to understand their vocation. So we're looking forward to this discussion for all of us. Yeah, Mary, do you just want to just tell us why you're passionate about this topic and why do you think it's important? And we'll dig in more later, but yeah, just why, why we need to reflect on this more. Well, I don't know if I'm passionate about it as much as it's a, probably a little bit of an ache in my story <laughs> or a, and I find that it's true for many people, right? I, I work in theology, of the body camps and various things and, and a lot of young uh, women and, and men, but I, I minister to a lot of women that are either try to discern their vocation. We talk about dating. We talk about relationships. Today I was on the phone call with a friend. We talked about Catholic dating sites, which in itself is a, a, whole, a whole, whole podcast in itself. And um, and I'm a unique bird that I I really feel, uh, you know, Father Christopher's question was really unique to me uh, because I've, I discerned religious life for 10 years and really felt called, even at a young age, to be a nun. Um, I have a lot of brokenness in my own identity and fear in relationships or various things that have come up and some woundedness that, you know, and I've dated and all this stuff, but kind of going through the whole journeys. And we were just talking about um, God opening doors to vocation. And as we begin today, I don't know if you're listening, whether you're single or you're married, or um, I think this question of, of our, not only just our calling to holiness, but the mode that God has called us to do that is an important one. And I find that a lot of times, I don't know if you guys can share this, but a lot of times um, it's a big ache. I mean, I remember sitting around with my, I had two roommates. Um, I just moved back to Louisiana, but when I was living about an hour from here with my roommates, one of which is single in her mid thirties, and it would not be uncommon for her to be in tears or be upset and struggling with the ache and the desire for her vocation. And, um, and so I wanted just to open it up on that discernment process and, um, yeah, the things that get in our way and, and, uh, what God's calling us to. I know, Joe, you had some things that you were going to share as well before Father Mike. And I, I think I'll just say this right away. I don't think this is going to be the standard vocation presentation. I think we're going to talk about the finer details, uh, just from our previous discussions in the past. So I will just say right away, so vocation is uh, God's calling on our life. Like what has God called us to? And that could be smaller things, but still big, like where we're supposed to live, what church we're supposed to be involved with, what types of ministry, these kind of things. But also 
vocation is often talked about what is the the bigger callings like am i supposed to be married or not who am i supposed to marry am i supposed to be a priest am i supposed to be a sister and so it's very important that we be open to god's call in our life and not just simply to say well god i'll just basically and this is what i used to think god i'll basically just do whatever i want but i'll still pray and be a good person so it's okay and not really listening to what god's call is on my life but this, these things I'm saying is part of the normal vocation presentation, but we want to do a little bit more of advanced discussion, just our own experience of discernment and what we found helpful, what's maybe not helpful in terms of what's presented in the, the culture of discerning vocations. But again, fundamentally, we do need to be listening to God, bigger things and even smaller things. God, what are you, what are you calling me to do? It was so important that we talked about identity in some depth before we had this episode. Because if we don't properly understand how God's love and God's like the the Father's love, the Father's blessing comes before we do anything, and that our calling, like our specific vocation or maybe other specific things He's calling us to, flow from that basic identity of sonship, daughtership. The risk is that we we look to our vocation in a maybe very exaggerated or unhealthy way as like our our ticket to happiness or our ticket to fulfillment, and we can think that uh, until I figure that out, until I figure out my particular vocation, I'm just going to be miserable. I'm just going to be unfulfilled, or even thinking like, well, I don't really have anything to offer God. I don't have anything to offer the church or other people or the world until I figure out this precise path. And I know for myself, I went through that a lot with like, um, you know, being in the, I was in the national guard and in the military, the reserves for a while and thinking like, I'm going to be active duty. I'm going to do this. And like, and, and then going to different job fields, studying different things in college, changing my major. And there's just always this feeling of like, uh, not necessarily the grass is greener, but just like it's coming. Like it's eventually it's coming. Like, you know, the next thing, eventually I'll get to the point where like I have what I need to be happy or I'll be in like the, the right path or the right career or whatever, the right job. And it just always felt so elusive. Like it was just beyond my grasp, some kind of fulfillment. And when you start with the identity that we received as a gift from God of like being a beloved son, being a beloved daughter, you don't look to any particular job, any particular human being, uh, like in a marriage or in a relationship. You're, if you think that like, all your eggs are in the basket of a of some job, some career, uh, you know, some b- nice reputation, status, or another uh, a person to fulfill you, you're going to be really disappointed. Um, I've uh, I've had an interesting um, and rather twisty vocational kind of discernment journey up to this point. Something we we millennials seem to particularly struggle with, I've noticed. Um, And that's not, I don't mean that to just be a disparaging thing. I think there's a lot of factors involved. I think it really is, it's hard within the framework that we've grown up as. But we can also use that as an excuse. We can justify running away or trying to escape responsibility or trying to escape intimacy um, with other human beings. And, um, but 
rather than just going into all of that right now, I think I just like a, a little bit of yeah, testimony, I mean, really. I think you have a great story. I mean, from, from the top. Well, just just to at least to have something to start out with. Um, when I was a teenager, as I've mentioned in baptism in the Holy Spirit, that's when I first encountered the Lord. I was I wasn't even in high school yet. Um, and it was just, it changed my life completely, and I knew, okay, I have a calling, I have a mission, I have a purpose, I just need to figure that out by um, really surrendering my life to the Lord. I mean, the Spirit taught me that immediately. Like, I didn't even need, I mean, I'd heard people talk about it, but like, I knew in my heart that's what I had to do. But very quickly after that, I mean, it was a, and I haven't really mentioned this, but it's really important to know. For me, it was a kind of a baptism in the Holy Spirit in the way that it kicked things off. But it was, there was also something, it was meant to be something of a foretaste of a Christian life that I had to still mature into. So my experience of that consolation didn't last all through my teenage years. And I did start to fall back on patterns of self-reliance and fall back into patterns of the flesh and fall back into um, just fear. And so without realizing what I was doing, I became, you know, very early on, went back into the mindset of, all right, once I find out if I'm supposed to be married and I find the, this person or if I once I become ordained a priest, everything's going to be completely different, and it's going to be perfect because I am going to be who I was created to be. And there's just this existential dread of not being that. And so over the years, I, I did different things. Like I craved a relationship in high school that never panned out. It was really, really painful. So I was like, well... Um, I desire the Lord, I hunger for God, and I've been touched by him. So clearly I'm called to be a priest. So I went to college seminary. These stories are always more complicated. I mean, the spirit of God was moving in all this, certainly. Um, but as I, you know, I went to seminary, I left that, I joined the Franciscans for a couple of years. I left that and I started to learn something that I had forgotten when I first experienced the Lord come to me. And that was that identity is primary, comes first and foremost. And I know this is a talk about vocation and calling, but just to be clear, like the Lord really started to, to hammer this into me. Your vocation, your calling, and your identity are different things. And you have to get the one part right. And you have to get that the identity part right first, and then the rest flows from that. So what God was doing, every time I was expecting something, like, this is going to be it, this is it, this is it, and it wasn't it. This is it. Oh, man, I'm almost there. You know, I'm in novitiate. I'm, I'm going to be, like, I left the I left the Franciscans the day that I would have taken vows as a, as a Franciscan, but I was filled with joy. I remember it was one of the most joyful times of my life. Why? Because it started to crack open for me in my heart. No, wait. I'm leaving, and I know I have the freedom of a child of God. Like, I felt that in my heart. I was in my mid to late 20s at the time. I had only the clothes on my back. I had no money. I had no credit score. I came home to my my, my parents, and 
Um, and uh, well, it's actually just my dad because my mom had passed away the previous year. So like, I'm just I'm just there. The first money I made, I made twenty bucks chasing a bat out of somebody's room. Like that was the first like <laughs> money I made out in the world. You know. Now that, this is not just to brag about me. It's just I, I, honestly, it is a kind of a cool story. But like, but there was such a freedom in that. I don't recommend that you just you know seek that unless the lord is really strongly moving you to that because he could be i don't know talking about love the, a life of are you talking about the religious life or poverty. chasing bats out of people's rooms <laughs> well it, well th- that phase that i had after where i was just like yeah i don't have any resources i'm living in the world without any resources and i just had to rely on the lord people gave me people gave me a car like some people just gave me a car for free and then that broke down and then father michael your mom and dad gave me the next car and then that broke down but I was <laughs> we'll talk about that after the call. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a car, you get a car. But like yeah, I remember just witnessing to the lady that drove me back to my house. She stopped to help out and she just drove me back to my house after my car broke down like in the middle of rush hour. And I was just like I was just witnessing to her like yeah, the Lord just he's always provided for me. He's my father. He just always provides for me. And so it's like because I started to realize my identity. And once I realized my identity after leaving the Franciscans, then I feel like I've really started to be able to discern my vocation in a way that's not been filled with anxiety all the time. I, I've been able to take those steps more and more into who God's created me to be um, and who he's calling me to be. Yeah. So we'll, I'll say this too. We did talk about in the identity podcast about the temptation to find our identity in other things that we shouldn't place our identity in. And so one that would be another person, like someone can basically not feel valuable or complete without another person. And there is some sense that God did make men and woman, man and woman to be complimentary, complimentary. That's a truth, but maybe to too great an extent, people can feel lacking and incomplete until they're locked in into that marriage. And so one, like your, as we said, your vocation does not give you your sense of identity. And if you know that you basically won't be pursuing your vocation with the sense of striving and grasping and insecurity and inadequacy, you can pursue your vocation from a place of freedom uh, especially marriage, but also applies to priesthood as well. You can pursue that more freely. And even if you're actually in your vocation, it's not like things are necessarily going to be perfect if you don't have your identity straightened out. Because I can tell you, even in my own experience, it maybe wasn't a horrible distortion of, of identity, but to some extent, I did find my identity in being an inspiring priest. So what happens when I feel like I'm a little bit tired or I don't remember someone's name or the homily was a little scattered, I feel inadequate because I've placed my identity and worth in performing as an inspiring priest. And the same thing happens with people in marriage. It's not like people who are all married are just perfectly happy. And so just to conclude my little uh, part here, we should pursue our vocations from the sense of being filled with the love of God. So a lot of people, they basically feel like their heart is like a cup half full. It's basically thinking, I'm lacking, I'm missing something. 
I'm halfway, I'm halfway full and I need someone to fill me priesthood, fill me ministry, fill what's lacking in me, especially in relationships. I'm basically incomplete and I need to find that special someone. And then once I do that, then I'll be, then I'll be complete. The, the model should be instead. I'm so I'm, I'm madly in love with God and I receive what I need from him as his son or daughter. And my heart is overflowing with love where it's basically like, I need to find someone not to complete me, but because I have all this love in my heart and I need to, I need to give, I'm just overflowing with love and I need to pour this out to someone else instead of, it's basically using someone, a lot of uh, vocation, uh, vocational discernment, especially in relationships, it can be a, not malicious, but it can be a form of using. Like if someone said, well, I just want to marry this person because they're rich. Well, that's clearly shallow. But basically what can happen is, well, I want to, I want to marry this person because they, they make me happy or they, they fulfill me. And yeah, the person will make you happy and they will bring fulfillment to your life. But there is some mysterious way that people can use each other instead of just finding this in, in God. Yeah. I mean, my only thought it's, it's interesting as we talk, cause I think you're right that there can be a, I think you're right. This is my one pushback, right? Okay. That okay. I think on well, that pushback, but only because I'm hearing, I'm hearing my roommates and some friends I'm unique. And this is probably my own. Like I was, I've never been a girl. I was always a tomboy. Um, I've never been the girl that's been like, I can't wait to get married. Like I've been, I always joke that there's either like Elsa's or Anna's for girls. There's like love is an open door, you know? And like, they're all like excited for relationships or there's like Elsa's that are kind of more protective Um, because of some woundedness in my relationship Mm -hmm. with men. um, I tend to, I mean, I'm super Anna, Anna, sorry, not to use frozen as a reference, but welcome. Um, in most areas of my life, but sometimes I've noticed that I can be a little bit more protective with, because of my woundedness and, um, things in my heart with men. And that's why I said earlier, why this, like being friends with y'all has been so healing for me as a sister, just because, um, you know, chastity blossoms and friendship, it says in the catechism. Um, but I also recognize that I'm not, I am not, um, there are a lot of girls that dream, um, and yes, Jesus is their bridegroom, but I remember having a conversation with my roommate a number of years ago and she was like, you know what? I do know who I am in Christ. You know what? I have a job and I, and I, you know, she's like, and I really just want to get married. Like it's a desire of her heart. So I agree with you that there are a lot of people like grass, but there's a lot of aching young adults out there that long to have that person to live their life with. And Sometimes for me, I disconnect because I'm so ministry focused and I might have a calling to consecrated life. So are you going to push, you're going to say, go, go, go. Well, no, just real quick. I'll say this. I One, thank you for clarifying that uh, because you have this perspective of where other people are at. I will say that those people that are longing for that, I don't think that's a problem that there's this like, man, I just want to get married and have a family. That's not bad, but my thought was maybe with some of these friends, they actually are rooted in their identity. They're rooted in their relationship with God. And so they are in that place of, I know who I am. I've received from God and I, I do want to give to other people. And so I, I don't think it's, it's possible to be rooted in God and be filled by him, but still have that longing ache. I don't think those things are incompatible, but I don't think I was super clear about that. So 
just the fact that someone's like, man, like, where is that special someone? I, I want to have a family like that is, and it can even hurt some. Like, I think that actually is, can be normal and healthy. It doesn't mean that someone's doesn't love God enough or their priorities aren't straight. So someone can actually just be filled with the love of God. Some of the people though, and it's more about the thing of their heart. They are, they're not rooted in God and it's, it's an idol. I agree. I do think that, and and it's perpetuated in our culture too, right? This like longing and the, but it can definitely be get out of whack. Yeah. It's something, a place where I've seen just the differences of where people are at clearly on display was in the seminary. So obviously everybody who goes to the seminary wants to become a priest on some level. I mean, they wouldn't be there if they didn't. And if seminary is a long time, like if you start right out of high school or without any college, you know, credits or whatever, you're going to be there for like eight or nine years. So if, if your uh, heart is really set on being a priest and becoming a priest and you have maybe a, a kind of unhealthy conviction that you just cannot be in any way happy or fulfill their experience, uh, a lot of meaning in your life until you are actually ordained, it's going to be a long and rough road for you. Cause I mean, most people don't prepare for marriage for eight years, at least not like <laughs> actively. Um, and so you just see people with very different attitudes, you know, and I know for myself, um, and I don't, this isn't anything I did to like make this happen, but I just really enjoyed it. The time in seminary, uh, you know, there were challenges and things, but I actually really entered into it and it's like, I just had really, people had instilled in me the mindset, like God is calling me to only to this moment, to this day, to this time in my life. And like, uh, I have to believe that there's joy and meaning available now. And yes, my heart is set on priesthood, and that's what I believe God's calling me to. But not in this kind of maybe unhealthy way where it's thinking like, this is just like, just got to push through it. It's like uh, this, like as if seminary it were an obstacle. Or if, you know, if you're any in any kind of period of formation or preparation, as if that was like what stood between you and your happiness. And it's like actually fully engaging in the process and learning to love the process of growth and formation. And also just a life of prayer, uh, a life, you know, of order, a life of community. Um, if you can't learn to enjoy that kind of process with all the beautiful people that it involves, uh, it's like it's going to be really hard to enjoy the, the life of ministry like in, in the community of a parish so um, I know that's a little bit particular to priesthood but I wanted to share that as like because I think it highlights the the different places where people could be um, so uh, I'm trying to just dive more into scripture even in the course of these podcasts and I just I'm just always amazed when I do this honestly um, <clears throat> just the flipping around first corinthians 27 so the it's chapter 12 verse 27 sorry so saint paul here is talking about the body of christ and he's talking about i think charisms that individuals have in particular but a lot of our charisms are tied in with our vocation in a certain sense so i i think this applies well to vocation as well to our calling 
It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, then healers, helpers, administrators, speakers, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. So I'm seeing this and I'm like, oh. Okay, we can talk a little bit more about charisms. That's pretty cool. And like, not everybody is perfectly possesses all the charisms. Like, that's important. But I wasn't, I wasn't sure. And then I saw the next line, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And then he talks about the way of love, and he talks about what love is. And then that, and then I was reminded, the light, the kind of the light bulb turned on. I was like, oh yeah, what did Saint Therese say? It's like my vocation is love in the heart of the church, right? And that's true for everyone. I mean, having established that identity is the primary thing and that our calling flows from that, that our, um, just our life flows from that. I think this has kind of been the realization in my life that has brought me the most, like, just peace. Because, like, as we're saying, like, Yes, like there's suffering in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of like, you know, like our lives are short, like we age quickly. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm 31. It's like, I'm surprised I'm this young by how quickly the years are going by, honestly, because the years go by so quickly. And it's like, and that can be really hard when you're looking for a vocation like marriage, especially, or, or priesthood, where it's like, there are time limits, like you don't have endless time I'm like god what are you doing like i think i'm really glad that mary brings up the real the real pain that people experience with this um and certainly like focusing on identity is like that's not that's not to like dismiss that that's just like a really important lesson that i learned but getting back to love like realizing that love is the core of every vocation that total gift of self has brought me so much peace. And it's just, it's something you can't exhaust though. Like you have to keep like going in because when we're talking about total gift of self, that means literally your whole person. And we, we have a lot, we're made up of a lot of things as we've talked about, our emotions, including. <laughs> it's like, we can't just, for you know, we can't bypass that part of us. Like our bodies, our emotions, our minds, our spirits, it's like we have to be able to make a gift of all of that in the service of whatever God has put before us, and that's our vocation. But that is that is essentially love. So, oh man, I just, I wish I could remember this quote, quote from Leif Hetland. It's like, you are as comfortable with love, um, you are as comfortable with God as you are comfortable with love. Whether or not I, the Lord ever brings a person into my life that I can surrender myself to in marriage, like in love, or whether or not I get accepted to the priesthood, maybe there's, I don't know, there's an impairment, there's something in the way. It's like, I need to seek as much as I can to be capable of making that gift, that purity of heart that we talked about in the last episode, cultivating that. And I know that I'm doing everything I need to do I'm doing my part if I'm doing that. So, you, Joe, you, you basically just experienced a piece just being rooted in your identity, 
and just the importance of loving in general, loving in the present moment. Is that what you would say? Yeah. And just like, and just focusing my life, how do I learn how to make a true gift of myself? You know, St. Paul, St. John Paul II says like, man does not find himself except in making a sincere gift of himself. And I'm just, man, it is not easy, but like, that's all that I can really do. Like I can't control finding the right person. Like that's not within my control. I, I can't control that. It's like, if I did it, I mean, it would be pretty awful for them, at least. <laughs> yeah. Probably for me, too. But, like, so I want to say yeah. so, this is such an important point. Just being rooted in our identity, not making vocation an idol or an identity. But maybe we should talk. So, that's a, a very, very important point that we need that needs to be the foundation. But given that, maybe we can say something about discerning in the midst of the mess. So, let's say someone is fairly rooted in their relationship with God. Father Christopher, feel free to hop in as well, but Joe and, and Mary, just from your stories, you would maybe know a little bit more just about discerning in the midst of, I don't know, just the, the midst of the ups and downs and the, maybe the, the confusing paths. Like what, what should people know about discerning vocation? What should they know about the mess? Because some people would just feel uh, just incomplete when when their path isn't so clear like some people they go to high school they go to college they get married right after college they have a family i did have a pretty easy discernment with priesthood i went to college in the middle of college felt a strong call to seminary i went to seminary i became a priest i've been happy ever since but yeah like mary especially you you're in the process of continuing to, to see what the Lord is calling you to and you work with a lot of people. So what are just some thoughts that you've, whether it's advice or important points that given what you know about just discernment when it's not so clear, like what's, what do people need to know? What's some helpful advice? What's something that's been on your heart and mind when the discernment isn't so clear? Because yeah, we don't want to be, we don't want to just be like, Hey, you know, your vocation isn't clear, but you have God. So don't worry about it. Like that's definitely, that's not compassion. I hope I didn't come across that way. Um, You know, it's interesting because I think the last podcast I was doing purity of heart, I made that joke that I'm like Paul Saint, like I'm like Saint Paul that I'm like not the person that should be giving this podcast because, because of my own story. I'm like, Lord, I don't know if I'm the person to be giving this podcast because I think, um, you know, I have, I feel like I've, I discerned religious life. And there are moments, you know, it's funny, there are moments that I think, and maybe I should have just been a nun (laughs) Um, because it seems easier in some ways. There are moments I have that. There are moments that I look at married couples and um, I'm like, I wish I was somebody's number one, you know. Um, There's something about having, you know, we have friendships and we have relationships, but there is something about having someone else as their priority that feels different where I'm the person their life is revolving around. And as a single person that has gone through many friends that have gotten married and celebrated wonderful weddings. I also know what it's like to be the one person at the party that doesn't have a boo. Um, and I'm, I'm really, I'm relatively confident in my singleness and I, I love being single. I love my friendships. I love the autonomy. I probably love the freedom because there's probably a little fear of, of be having to, you know, I dated a guy a couple of years ago and one of the issues that we had was around 
what my life would be with looking like with him and um, me having to let go of some ministry and my traveling because he had some children of his own and, and that being a struggle for me. And so, you know, it's interesting when we talk about um, laying our life down for another, there's definitely places where some of us long for marriage and some of us fear the commitment or fear, you know, am I going to be a good mom or fear this? And I think there's a variety of places in our hearts that keep us in relationship and keep us out. Like, um, and so for me, I don't know if I'm the best person because I, I also, am a, I guess I'm, I'm a semi-consecrated person now that I've, I, I do, um, I've given my heart to Lord totally. And I said, I kind of, I kind of jokingly, I'm like, Lord, if you bring me someone, then like, you know, it's null because you're bringing me that person, but otherwise I'm yours. And it's kind of cheating in that way, but I, I have done kind of semi vows in my own heart to him, um, because of my specific call to love the Lord and to seek him for the church. But my story is different. And I think that's, what's hard. And I'll pass this off. I think what's challenging about vocation is that we think it's going to be, and some people have a beautiful story and it's going to be a, B and C and they know it and they're going to find it. But the, the crazy part is even in marriage, they're going to find their own crosses. And for others of us, it's it's single life and we have crosses in different ways. Um, it's really the Lord's divine path to lead us to holiness. And I think trusting in him and abiding in him. And if we are seeking him with all of our heart, I, I think he will lead us that path. Um, I mean, I trust in that, that I'm single for a reason. I've been able to have an amazing journey and see amazing things and do missions and that I wouldn't be able to do as a mom. And I get to be a spiritual mom and I get to champion people. Um, and so I don't know. I think I think it's having the perspective of just knowing your unique calling, um, yoking yourself to Christ, and then enjoying the ride. Amen. It's a beautiful testimony. Something that I wanted to bring into this is just I I'm really aware of how much more our age like our time is a time of like endless options and uh just a lot more freedom to decide your path in life than a lot of people in the past have ever had i mean, even just people in other parts of the world there's it was kind of just decided for you uh i mean also we can even include in that like arranged marriages or like oh my oldest son will be a priest and that's what we do in this family and like <laughs> and um i just think that there's there's a couple of, there's two basically two different kinds of suffering at work or two different kinds of crosses. I think maybe our time, there's much more of a cross of indecision that's created by uh, honest in our culture, like our prosperity and the fact that we have a lot of resources, we have the luxury of having endless options and that is a great freedom, but it also is kind of scary because it means I'm responsible for whatever I choose. It's just like a, as a little simple analogy, whenever I was finishing up uh, my basic theology degree in Rome, uh, my bishop asked me to study moral theology. And he didn't, he didn't give me any like choice. He just said, yeah, I want you to do this. And it was like, it was wonderful. I was like, okay, that's what I'm doing. Other people, uh, my classmates were like, oh yeah, whatever you want to study. And then is uh, some people are jealous of that because it's like, wow, that's a lot of freedom. But then if they go into a program and they started studying it and it's like, this is really difficult. I don't actually like this. They, they, they have no one to blame to put themselves in a sense. Um, so I like what you said there, uh, Mary, toward the end about, you know, marriage has its own crosses. I think 
maybe in the past people didn't have as much suffering or difficulty around the decision about what am I going to do with my wife because just culturally or in their faith, like it was just more of that was given to you. But they, everybody has to embrace the cross. Like every vocation is a, is a call to, to die to self, to live for God and to live for others. Uh, there's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor uh, who resisted Nazism and stuff. Um, and stuff. <laughs> he was a, like a martyr. But he uh, said so he's a martyr, which is important because in this quote he says, um, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And so just, yeah, we talk about the normal Christian life. It's like that we are all called to die. And so there is maybe, maybe there's a kind of particular suffering to the the lack of clarity or the confusion around not knowing like what is really my purpose in life. And I think that can bring more existential kind of angst or anxiety than just, yes, I know exactly what I have to do, but it's just really difficult. Um, like Jesus knew exactly what was before him and it was the cross. Like it was, you have to say like, it was like, you know, still the worst suffering that he had to face. Um, but it wasn't because he didn't know what his mission was. Jesus had perfect clarity about his vocation, about his mission. And it still involved totally dying to himself, totally sacrificing himself. So maybe that can, we can think about that with like, yeah, there is no vocation to avoid suffering or to avoid the cross. Um, that's, that's something to bring into it as well. And I think just to add, to add to that suffering and to make it even more complicated, I think in the culture we live in, I think we're talking about something about, when we talk about gender, we would talk about our identity as male and female. Um, we're looking at a culture that has a lot more confusion about what marriage is, um, what masculinity is, what femininity is. And there's a lot more brokenness yeah. in terms of homosexuality, same-sex attraction, um, you know, gender confusion in various areas that maybe, I'm not saying it wasn't present before, but I think that cultural component and the confusion has a lot has opened the door to a lot more brokenness, which, you know, we do this theology of the body camp here and we do a whole three days where we teach identity, we teach this. And then the fourth day we do a hard topics and we talk about homosexuality. We talk about the church's teaching on, uh, on gender. We talk about uh, contraception and we wait till later, later in the week, like the fourth day to do it. We do it as a panel and it's the most sacred thing I've ever seen. I've never been a part of as a panel of uh, the people I work with are holy and we have mastered the ability to be pastoral in these areas of brokenness. But I think we're also dealing with populations of people that their brokenness in terms of abuse, sexual abuse. I'm not, and maybe that just feels more to me nowadays with the sexualized culture. I just to add to the complexity of, yeah, we have more options, but we also have more brokenness. And maybe that's not true. Maybe that's just what I feel because I'm in the trenches of it. I'm also in it within my own heart. You know, when I look at my own life and I look at my fears, you know, one of the questions I often ask is, is there's such a fear um, in women? And we could do a whole thing about our feminine identity. There's so many woundednesses about our feminine identity and what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a woman in marriage and work. And so it's, it's way more complicated. I think nowadays, um, to learn how to navigate that, um, just to add the complexity. I mean, that's just the other, the other part is 50% of the population right now is single. And so a large wow. part of people, whether they're widowed, whether they're married or divorced, um, it just, and, and it's, 
Pope, okay, and I'm gonna, I'll let you, I'll pass it off. I'm getting on my soapbox. And Pope Francis, whether we like him, we don't like him. Um, he asked, has asked some interesting questions pastorally about what we do as a church with, with people that are divorced or people that have had um, different walks in life. And so I think we're asking really good questions that I think the church needs to grapple with. Um, how does the church respond nowadays to the needs of um, particular woundednesses that maybe were there in the past, but are stronger inclination today? Just a thought I'm throwing out. Mary, as long as I have known you and we've had deeper conversations, like you do really talk about the Lord and serving him and, and being on mission. And it's not like you never think about these vocational things, but it just it, it is a little bit refreshing that in the midst of this complications that you're still trying to serve the Lord. But I also want to highlight your story as well, because I do think there's a lot of people in complicated situations or even just like, you know, like marriage is a common vocation, but some people they're married and they get widowed at a younger age and they might not remarry. So is it just like, well, if you're widowed at 55 or 60, you're just basically aimlessly wandering around or another, a real giant cultural problem we're facing is yes, there's a decline in religiosity, but especially there's just such a, uh, there's such a decline in good, holy men. Like I know lots of, yeah, lots of single, holy, beautiful women who just are wanting to serve the Lord and, and have a family. And there's just not often a lot of guys around. And so we have all these complicating factors and I just don't want people to think that like, well, I'm, I'm not with the one or I'm not a priest or sister. So therefore I'm just basically not as important. People don't really feel like they're secure or can be engaged in the, in the present moment or that they're, what they're doing now is that valuable because they're not locked into that spot. And I think it's clear from, from your witness that you are pursuing the Lord. You are being used by him. Even if you haven't followed the exact standard American, go right to college, get married right away, have three or four kids, have a, you know, white picket fence with a tire swing. The Lord is still, <laughs> that the Lord is still active in that. And so I don't want people just feeling inadequate or writing themselves off because of this complications. And then Father Chris, feel free to hop in here. It's something I, I want to address at least a little bit in this conversation. We don't have to now is the role of inner healing and discerning a vocation. Cause I think that's a really important thing, but go ahead, Father Christopher. Something I wanted to say on your main point there was uh, this comes, I got this from a book that I read fairly recently by Dr. Mary Eberstadt. She's a Catholic author who writes a lot about family, um, writes about contraception, just kind of sociology, the church's teaching, all this stuff. She wrote this book uh, called How the West Really Lost God. And she basically, uh, the whole thesis of the book is basically she shows, like, you know, with data and evidence that it's actually not the decline in religiosity that has led people to not want to have families. It's the decline in the family that has made people less religious. And so when you talk about this particular struggles people have with, you know, irregular situations, uh, more and more people being single, the, the crisis of maybe a particular crisis of a lack of Catholic men or a holy Catholic men. I think the the cultural trend of how late people get married and how people, even 
very well-intentioned people who plan to get married, plan to have a family, it is very, very normal for people to spend 10, 12, 14 years as a single person. Back, you know, 100 years ago or more, people would get married when they were 19, 20, 21, 22. You literally went from being part of a family, being a daughter in a family, being a son in a family, to, you know, very seriously dating and starting your own family. Um, or maybe if you're a priest or religious, you entered into that life. Now we have this period where extended period of time where you kind of have this, uh, un, uh, just this, like a decade of like maybe finding yourself or like going off and trying to, and you, you sort of learn to do life on your own. And if you don't very intentionally plug into things like ministry, if you don't become involved or involved in some group, if you don't have some like particular outlet that forces you to, to kind of stay connected to the community and the church community of believers to serve. It, you don't have to be like a really selfish person. You're just going to become kind of more isolated and, you know, less connected. And uh, yeah, that's just a, a big factor. I, I know it's just another complicating factor, but uh, it's, it's a, a time for someone to just kind of grow in that confusion. Again, exploring endless options whenever before, this would have been more normal to to jump into that that commitment. I just I I do want people to just really have hope and faith in the midst of the mess and when things aren't again the normal formula for what quote unquote should happen. Because Romans eight says God works everything for the good for those who love Him, and He even talks about tribulation, distress, the sword death basically God works everything for the for the good for those who love him and so if God is using even our sin God uses horrible things like death and he uses it for his good I just want people who maybe feel like they should be married by this point I know Mary you're talking about this like should I have been a sister all these things like I want people to not be like there can be this real sense of being deflated, like, man, I just missed my opportunity and I'm like just settling for something so much less than I was supposed to have. And that just really doesn't seem like confidence in, in God's grace and his working. Like if God can use sin, like he used the death of his son, the worst thing imaginable for the greatest good. Can God use like imperfect discernment or uh, complicated cultural factors. I think he absolutely can. He can bring tremendous good. And I just want people to have that confidence because there's a lot of pressure of just fear of missing out and fear of getting it wrong. And so maybe even this connects well with the inner healing and, and discernment and vocation, but I'll let you hop in here, Joe. There's a, something that I've kind of had gotten in the habit of doing throughout my life very imperfectly, but just with all the confusion with the discernment, honestly. Um, and um, just kind of deciding to take the mindset in some ways of like, Lord, I'm just going to focus on preparation for my vocation. And like, if it's, if it's going to be a vocation like marriage or priesthood, basically that, that great responsibility, that great mission that you're entrusting to me or that person, I'm just going to prepare to be able to receive that. And so 
I really do believe there's a sense in which vocation is is God's calls to you every day from day to day. But there is, of course, also that actual sense that, you know, we talk about in the church, like, yeah, marriage, consecrated life, priesthood. So there, there's both of those things. And so thinking in terms of like, Lord, I want to be as well prepared as possible when you give me that. And, you know, like, even if it seems that I never receive that in my lifetime, kind of like the, the prayer of uh, St. Blessed John Newman, I may never know my purpose fully in this life. You know, it's like, even if you don't know, that's a life well spent because you've not been standing by idly waiting for your life to start. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that really is tragic to me. All the people who are living married, who are priests, but who've never really thought seriously about preparing themselves for it, for receiving that tremendous gift. And that's easy enough to do. I'm not here to condemn those people for not, you know, appreciating it enough or like, oh, like, look at us. It's like, we're trying so hard. We don't have anything. It's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. But I, I, I'm just trying to point out, like, to me, a life lived in preparation to fully embrace a, a vocation to the full that may never seem to come is far better far better lived in my yes. like from what i could see than a life that's where you receive something that may be indeed the person or the the diocese or whatever that you are called to but you don't take it seriously you take it for granted you're not prepared you haven't taken time to learn how to actually make a gift of yourself right. within that vocation that you're called to because that is easy enough to do there's something in there that helps me see this with greater clarity about Mary that I appreciate about you is that you're not waiting to live your life. Like you are pursuing the Lord. You are seeking after greater healing and integration. You're going to conferences, you're giving. And so, yeah, there's still discernment that's ongoing, but I just do appreciate that you're not waiting to live life. And as, as Joe said, to be maybe in the midst of a confusing circumstance or uncertainty but be fully pursuing the lord is is so much more beautiful than just maybe being locked into marriage but just really not live not pursuing the lord not living with a sense of gift of self in the marriage or outside of the marriage so i just that is in my mind that brings a lot of clarity of what i appreciate about you mary thanks I love to be appreciated. <laughs> no, I um I love this conversation. Um, and I I also want to just toot. I do love being single, and I love. There are days that I don't, and there are days, many days that I love it and friendship and, and so I think, yeah. I just want to just say like I kind of concur what what Joe said is like when I have people that come up to me, I'm like seek the Lord and, um and find Him and find love. And love can be look, love can look like a number of different things. In the middle of that, I think all of us, if if we're honest, you know, I used to be like, there are not any great guys out there when I was like in my twenties. I think as I've gotten older and probably too honest and too transparent, I I'm able to look at the places of my heart where there's woundedness that protects me. And I think when we talk about inner healing, I just want to shift yeah. into that because I yes. do believe that I mean I went to my journey into inner healing happened because I went to a theology of the body camp 
and I was probably 28 years old and I, it was with Dr. Bob and it was like a wrecking ball to my heart because I recognized, I mean, in a beautiful way, it also led me to counseling. And <laughs> um, like, holy, holy Lord, you, there are, there are places on my heart that, that deeply need to be healed and fears in relationship. Um, I remember sitting in the room and they split up the room with men and women and, and this is with another class, but um, Christopher West was like having all the men do one thing and all the women do other things. And I ended up resenting being on the women's side. And I, I recognized mm. there was resentment in my heart. And I was like, what is that? And I recognized there was stuff that God wanted to redeem in how I saw my feminine identity and how I related to myself as a woman. And, and Our Lady and the Blessed Mother has been a big part of my own healing. And and even as I've gotten older, it has resurfaced again in a new level of even a deeper way of God wanting to touch places of my woundedness and places of, um, yeah, sin or brokenness. And it's sometimes scary. I think the one thing I see with young men and women is sometimes we don't know what to do with our own brokenness and how it relates to relationships or marriage, or um, it's easier to go to pornography or something else than to actually um, have the courage to let God touch those wounds. And I, I do believe that we're living in a generation where God is, is so hungry to go in those places of our heart to restore us that I think there is no story that can't be redeemed. Like I've, I've heard it all. Like I have a friend of mine who has same-sex attraction, is married with kids. I have another friend of mine whose husband was addicted to pornography, the divorce, and she's living full-time ministry, helping other women who have husbands or issues around pornography. Like I've seen God take every crooked line, every story and bring yeah. it into redemption. There is nothing yeah. that he cannot touch and restore. Mm-hmm. And I've seen single people that have changed communities. I've seen married people that just stay at home moms that like love their kids and bear to life priests and sisters. Like yeah. no matter what your story is, everyone has a place in the kingdom. And what I struggle with in the church is that we tend to feel like this is the one way Right. That it's going to look like. And I think John the Baptist, right? There are characters in scripture, the prophetic, the prophets, the uh, the widows that have a story, even in God's story of redemption. Yeah, Anna and the temple. Right? Like, yeah, like, yeah, like widowers and, and even prostitutes. Like, there is no story that God does not use and redeem. And so I think that's the, that's the hope is that I think you're talking about, Father Michael, is that regardless of where we're at is to every every road says pursue him seek him let him restore you and let him make a new storyline out of those crooked lines and for those who for those of you who might be single you might be in your late 20s you might be 30s or even 40s or even older and you and your life story you wanted to go to college and get married and have several kids and you might have have had this generous heart for a lot of children, maybe that's a possibility still, maybe it's not, but I just want to say that your life, how it is now, and versus this other dream of yours, like God can bring you just as much glory and just as much joy. How? I don't know, but God is infinite. Uh, the other the other thing I wanted to say too, you know, there's it's never a waste of time to seek God or seek after inner healing. That will be helpful no matter what you do in life. If someone goes to a particular seminary for three or four years, like, do I think God could use that? Sure. But 
I, I can I can I can say for sure that no matter what your vocation is, if you end up being a priest, single the rest of your life, married, everyone will benefit from seeking after deeper healing, a deeper sense of identity, a deeper sense of empowerment, a deeper sense of just letting the Lord love you. Like drawing closer to God is never, ever a waste of time. Yeah, and a lot of these things that we've been, you kind of did a little overview there. A lot of these things that we've been talking about are what one or the identity piece assures you of your value that you're not waiting to achieve something before you can be loved by God. And then the other parts about like empowerment, about charisms, about giftings of how the Lord uses people. If you don't have that perspective of that, everyone who's Christian has access to these things, has access to this intimacy, has access to being you is, is God wants to use them in powerful ways. Then it really makes sense that you would, you would not see like how you could contribute much to the kingdom of God until you have some kind of vocation. If you're stuck in a, a really institutional kind of mindset of like, unless I have one of these very clear uh, categories where I fall in neatly into this category, uh, if that's your mindset, then as long as you remain outside of that, or if that doesn't work out for you, you're going to feel like you're just floating off um, and not, not able to actually contribute. But so I love that we're, talking about this vocation piece after we, we covered some of the other areas because you can start to see uh, in light of what's been promised to us in terms of relationship with the Lord, what the identity that we've received, the ways he wants to empower us for mission, for helping to build the kingdom. You, you can easily see like, well, of course I can contribute. Of course I can love. Of course I can have meaningful relationships. Of course I can glorify God. It's not hard to believe when you put it in the context of of the, like, this is the baseline of like normal Christianity. See, I am making all things new. That quote from Revelation, you know, we're, and I love how Jesus says it in the middle of his passion in the Passion of the Christ movie. It's just like, I'm learning more and more that, that Jesus makes all things new. Like every day, as soon as we decide to accept the grace to become a new, a new creation, like we become it. It doesn't matter if you're in prison for what you did. I seriously, and I'd be awesome if people in prison somehow got wind of this podcast. But like seriously, like God can make a new you starting now. I love the Desert Fathers and like Saint Anthony of the Desert who would say like, basically like he would start every day as if he was beginning his spiritual life from square one. That was his mindset. Like I am starting today. I am starting to pursue holiness is how he would think of it. It's like, I'm always a beginner. And so like, and we are always a beginner, but there's always the grace of Jesus to make us into a new creation. And just having that hope um, that no matter what our past experience is, like we don't have to, we don't have to carry that as a weight because the word of God offers something different you know it's like the jeremiah i actually don't remember this quote super well it's like i think it's like i know well the plans i have for you plans for plans for a future full of hope at the school where i work there's a stairwell um where there's a a poster with that quote on it from jeremiah um and i i'd pass by it every single day going down to the teacher's lounge and the Lord highlighted it for me recently is like, I want you to read that every time you pass through there. 
and I want you to believe in my word. It's something that we can get used to seeing as almost trite, but we can never take the actual word of God as being trite. It has the, the power to um, transform yeah, our lives. Fundamentally, are we going to believe our circumstances and the appearances, or are we going to believe God's word? And it is possible to praise God in the midst of the mess. Like there's a stories from the book Power and Praise where these people are on death row or sentenced to several years or life sentenced to life in prison. And one particular, the guy was on death row and I think he did end up getting executed, but he's, he started to praise God for everything that happened in his life. He believed that God worked everything for his good and to uh, the Bible verses of Philippians to re- rejoice in all circumstances. And he said this, uh, this, sh- immense peace, this overwhelming peace flooded over him when he started just to praise God in the midst of the imperfect circumstances. Maybe just to conclude, just to clarify something, if you're still with us, a lot of this podcast unintentionally just does, did seem to focus a lot on those who might be in the midst of a mess, which is not bad by any means. If you're someone who is still listening and you actually are a priest, you are married and it's like well this stuff doesn't maybe apply to me as much there definitely is still a sense of uh entering your vocation with a a renewed sense of mission so you might not have this complication should i be married or not but there is still there's still something to discern of what is god's call my life am i actually living my marriage as a calling even my family like if is this do I see my family as a gift? Because I, I think something that can happen is people will justify any sort of activity with their family because it's family, which is true. But families are also supposed to be a gift to the community. So th- this would could be a whole nother discussion. But if you are still listening and you're in that committed place, we all need to keep discerning. And this, this journey never stops. And, you know, I'm a priest, but it doesn't mean like, I don't have many things to discern. And so hopefully even some of these principles, there's a, there's a call within a, there's a call within a call that many, many people have. In fact, I believe most people have. So yeah, you never stop discerning uh, for better or for worse. I mean, I think I'd say for better because it's about listening to the Lord's right. voice. But so if anyone has any other final thoughts before we close, All right, name the father, son, Holy spirit. Actually, since we have a guest speaker, uh, Mary, would you lead us in the closing prayer? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we just praise you. We give you glory. And Lord, we just lift up our hearts in this area of a vocation. We ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand your desire and your plans for us. You say in Jeremiah 29, 11, that you have plans and not for our harm, but for a future of hope. And so, Father, I ask as we come before you that you would make, for the single people listening, that that you would make it clear and bring peace into our heart, God. For those of us married that are listening, God, that you would just awaken um, there's a deeper love for their spouse, a deeper call to holiness, um, a deeper way of seeing and loving and laying our life down. And for those who are single, desiring consecrated life or just pursuing you, God, that you would just continue running that race with them. Regardless of our vocation, Father, I ask for grace just to live and lay our life down pursuing you as our one thing. We ask this all in Jesus' mighty name. 
Amen. God bless you all.